Well, hi, Alan. Hello, Josh. Um, we are going to record episode one, proper episode one. We had our intro. We had the intro. We had our blurb. We've given people a bit of a flavor for what we're trying to do. That was the plan. That is the plan. But also, in terms of getting even to that point, there are a couple of elephants in the room that we need to talk about and not ignore said elephant. Yeah, and I think biggest elephant uh, would be the one that we're planning on talking about today and in the next episode as well, Mm -hmm. I would argue, which is the food is medicine elephant. It is a massive element. It's an element. Mm. Element or elephant. Did you say elephant earlier? I said elephant originally. Yeah. Then we can stick with elephant. Well, let's do both. (laughs) Because it's a massive elephant in the room. Mm. It's a huge element of the discourse in nutrition. Exactly. Now, generally. Um, Interestingly, it's not a rhetoric that you will hear from within the field of nutrition, which in and of itself is instructive. So it's important that we kind of tease out what is the underlying uh, issues with it. You know, is it just a benign statement? Um, is there any harm to it? Or, or is it potentially harmful rhetoric? And is its use coming from a place really of lack of understanding? So mm. is it well-intended in its use? But actually, is it is it misconceived in its application, even if it's well intended? Um, and I think as healthcare professionals, there's simply a higher standard of care on us when we're communicating with the public to make sure that even if our intentions are good, mm. it, it doesn't matter. There's a higher standard of care. It's not simply enough that someone says, oh, well, I mean it well. Yeah. Um, we have to we have to put more thought into what we're communicating to other colleagues and the, the wider public. Hmm. Well, I feel like you've kind of given away what you think about the the phrase now with that <laughs> with that little statement. I mean, I'm happy but to would, give it away at the start. <laughs> to be honest, no, I would, I'll I nail would my argue colors that, to the that, mast on that. Well, yeah, I would argue that most people listening to this are probably going to have some idea as to where both of us stand on the statement "food is yeah. rhetoric." And yeah. from something I've said before as well, um, that if if your rhetoric is constantly having to be justified, mm-hmm. then it might be time to get over yourself yes. and to stop using it. Yeah, I, I've had to do that in the past, and yeah. I'm sure you've had to do that with certain, and maybe not because no, you're fancy, but no, yeah, I'm sure you've had to. I'm yeah. teasing. I'm sure you've had to do that in the past <laughs> as well. And I think most people, um, if they're honest with themselves, have probably had to do that. Where there's been something that we've thought, there's been a line of thinking or a line of kind of explanation that we've been using and we've realized that actually this is not it's it's just there's something wrong about this and we've kind of we've had to stop using it and i think food is medicine uh, correct me if i'm wrong probably falls under that that bracket for both of us where we're we're seeing how problematic it is and i think a lot more people need to get over themselves and find a new way of describing how important food is because we're not we're not pretending it's not. not pretending it's not important food is so important but it's not medicine. No. And hopefully we can spend an hour over two podcasts explaining why that might be the case or yeah. why why that's a better way of describing it. Exactly. And I like that way of, of, of putting it that, you know, there does come a point where you, we have to question the terminology mm. uh, that we're using and we have to examine it a little bit and we have to be comfortable that actually the message that it's giving is unambiguous, uh, is clear and isn't potentially uh, having unintended consequences. And I think this is where I really like the point you make about if someone has to keep justifying 
a statement, a position stand, you know, then we're already asking questions about it. You shouldn't, with simple statements like that, shouldn't constantly need uh, a justification or an excuse, which yeah. which is what I found when I've been recently quite critical of that rhetoric of food as medicine. Oh, well, people are just trying to help. Well, if you just see it from their perspective, you know, they see patients and diet's a big problem for them. And I'm just like, yeah, and that's no different to anybody mm. in this space. It's no different to the thousands of GPs across the country. It's no different to the thousands of nutritionists, if there even is that, you know, the dietitians and other healthcare professionals that deal with people, clients or patients for whom nutrition may be a factor in their health. But it's not the only factor. It's never going to be the only factor. And often diet is a symptom, um, you know, of wider issues. Uh, and we're going to talk about a lot of those social and economic and environmental determinants in another episode. So we, we won't get too bogged down with it today. Yeah. Well, I mean, they are important, aren't they? They are important, yeah. But it's it's realizing that it's not, it's the potential for unintended consequences that I think people don't see. Yeah. And so the excuses or the justifications for for any tagline or a position, you know, we really shouldn't be in a place where we keep having to excuse people for whom there is, like I said, a higher standard of care on in terms of their communications, which is healthcare, healthcare professionals generally, um, and trying to explain and debate amongst each other why it is or isn't correct. Yeah. Because ultimately... That debate is semantic and irrelevant to the fact that this is being communicated to the, to the population as a whole. Exactly. And that's where the unintended consequences lie with people that don't necessarily have the knowledge or understanding, but may take it literally yeah. and may forego a statin when it's, when it's indicated in favor of food being medicine. It's and not. There are always going to be some people that take your message wrong, even if your yes. message is... Sound. is perfectly or well not perfectly but caveated till the cows come home there will still always be people that take your message wrong um but exactly. that's not a justification to ignore well that's not an argument for continuing to use your message yes uh and that gets used quite a bit as well like oh but there are always people that are going to disagree with me my message is still good but let's look at how many people are taking your message wrong mm -hmm. exactly. um, if you start using the phrase food is medicine and the majority of the public who listen to you are going to end up having negative consequences from believing that you mean that in a different way, mm -hmm. then it just it has to stop. And I, and I think we're, again, we're making the assumption here that people mean good from that. And I don't think that's a bad assumption to make. No, but I also think it's not, I don't think we can give everyone necessarily that's, that's using this rhetoric all of the benefit of the doubt because i think it's quite clear we're living in a very unique age at the minute where nutrition is very much front and center in people's focus in everyday life mm. well that's what i was going to ask so it's gone through cycles as two different things are medicine. it's gone through cycles why why is nutrition medicine now why do you think people, we people are kind of obsessed with food at the moment if that's um, the right kind of way of putting it yeah well i think it is the right way of putting it it is an obsession I think the first thing to note is that the obsession definitely ties to, to class. Um, it's a luxury to be able to worry about um, eating a certain way. It's a luxury to be able to not consume a diet that is entirely, your only role in the food chain is as consumer in receipt of foods that are 
prepared for you. Yeah, yeah. And it's a luxury to be able to make a lot of the um, meals and recipes that, that, that people in this space recommend. Yeah. So well, let's use the right. Let's let's use the word privilege, right? Because it is privilege. The, yeah, it is privilege. I know it's a privilege it, we're, to be we're able. two two middle class white men discussing this, but still, it is still privilege. Well, I think I think that's us acknowledging our privilege. Yeah, 100%. and and I think it is important, and it's something that 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 I continually try to acknowledge in the conversations that I have about nutrition. Hmm. So I am fortunate to be able to have these discussions. I'm fortunate to be able to self select the kind of foods and, 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 and overall diet that I would like to consume. Mm. And not everybody is. So within, within that, because it ties to uh, a class or a social economic strata of society that has disposable income, there is huge commercial gain to be made from packaging this rhetoric in a certain way. And so as much as I do think a lot of people use the terminology uh, from a place of well-meaning, but not conscious of unintended consequences, mm. I also think that people are using it deliberately to capitalize on a commercial opportunity that's available. Because right now you can dangle anything in front of people. People are so desperate to, quote, heal. And I, I put that term in inverted commas because yeah. it's hilarious that, you know, it's the most privileged in society that are so desperate to heal from all of these things. Um they're already wealthy, they're already healthy, and they're the ones that are desperate for all of these health hacks and cures. So it there's there's a, a, a commercial opportunity there, um, and these people are standing there with their wallets open, ready to buy anything that is selling them the secret to health and longevity. Um, and I think it started with the functional medicine movement in America who commercialized, I think, quite quickly and started taking advantage of this. And unfortunately, I think it's it's spread quite quickly to the UK. Um, and, and we're just seeing this commercial opportunity be availed of um, by what amount to essentially media savvy uh, entrepreneurs that have a qualification that helps in presenting their positions as uh, you know, with, with, with an authority bias. Yeah. I mean, it's something I've definitely seen is it almost seems like a, an unfortunate consequence of the inherent failings of medicine. We're not, we're not perfect with medicine as doctors. We don't get, but is it a failing? Well, let, let me finish that. So I yeah. think there are certain things that as doctors, we want to be better at with medicine. We want mm -hmm. to be better at being able to help people. We want to be better at being able to heal people in the right context of the word heal. Yes. Um, and there are certain conditions over time. We've got better at treating. We've got better at healing and no longer death sentences anymore so for example hiv used to be a death sentence now it 100 no longer is mm -hmm. so there are certain conditions that we have got much better at dealing with mm -hmm. but there are still a whole subset of conditions where food as medicine becomes more pronounced right uh, where we are still very bad at treating them right and that's what i mean by a failing of medicine yeah. it's not a failing that you can point a finger and blame at. It's but also not a failing of, of medicine. What it is, is just simply a, a, a complete different landscape of, of what we're trying to address. So everything that you've described there in terms of the brilliance of medicine and the advancement we've made over the last 120 years, mm. reductions in infant mortality, in, increased sanitation at the, at the basic level, basic yeah, stuff yeah, like yeah. increased public health sanitation, yeah. and then the public health success of vaccinations, eradicating communicable diseases, 
you know, these have all been enormous breakthroughs. Vaccines are now yeah, well, anyway, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Point being that those illnesses, a lot of them infection based, yeah. uh, a lot of them, some of them might have a longer incubation period, but fundamentally they're quite acute in, in, in onset. And what we've shifted to over the past 50 years, I guess, really since probably the early 70s, are lifestyle related chronic diseases and they're the term chronic isn't random there these are conditions with long latency periods so yes someone has a heart attack at 55 but the steps in the pathogenesis of that condition may have been starting to be present in their late teens and we, we some interesting research if you look at the autopsy studies that were done during the vietnam war 19-year-old GIs already with evidence of atherosclerosis, hmm. you know, whereas you did not find that in Vietnamese, North Vietnamese counterparts. Yeah, yeah. So these conditions, they take 30 to 40 years often to manifest. So medicine has been doing a great job putting out fires of things that are really problematic for public health in an acute sense. And it's now faced with these conditions for which there was a relatively slow onset. This kind of crept up. It's not, you know, uh, you know. usually if you look at outbreaks of chronic diseases, or sorry, of, of, of acute diseases, you see those outbreaks pretty quickly. You can map their epidemiology quite mm-hmm. quickly and you can start to act on them quite quickly. But that's not the case with, with lifestyle diseases. So you're tracking trends over time. So we're only now starting to, to unpack this stuff. And in unpacking it, we're realizing, hey, in many respects diet here nutrition is a symptom of these wider kind of factors that that, that we'll talk about but this is why the food is medicine rhetoric is so problematic because while we're accepting that modern medicine has created improvements in our quality of life that we are all taking for granted at this very moment as a corollary to this rhetoric of food is medicine there is this rejection of modern medicine and it's, it's wrapped up in these conspiracy narratives of big pharma wants you to be sick, so it's co- coinciding with the government. They make the guidelines that make you eat foods that get you sick, and then you're on their meds for life. <laughs> and it's all this intertwined narrative, and you've got people rejecting medicine you know, as some sort of giant conspiracy. But again, that that's come from, I, or my personal opinion is that's come from the the functional medicine stuff that started that. Let me just clarify what I meant the when root I root cause. Yeah, stuff. yeah. Let, let me just clarify what I meant when I said that medicine has its failures. The lifestyle medicine stuff isn't actually what I was thinking of at that point. I think that's what it's turned into. Yes, it but has. ironically, I think it started as autoimmune diseases so what i mean by a kind of a failure of medicine is that we have lots of drugs that work really well for lots of conditions right there's a whole subset of conditions autoimmune conditions that we can't we're not good at treating yeah and that i think the functional medicine stuff especially in the u.s was born out of doctors can't do any more for me right these medications aren't working right this person is claiming that it's being caused by my food and i can Mm. change my food and i will get better Mm. and Maybe they didn't eat particularly well, Epstein whatever bar. that means. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. We can get into the medical medium in a bit, but you know, the the by changing some of their diet, they probably ended up eating better, mm-hmm. whatever that word specifically means, and etc. Yeah. Than they were before, and so they probably felt a bit better. Yeah. And their autoimmune conditions or the symptoms that they thought were completely down to it probably got a little bit better. So it's it yeah. became. I think it started as something where. 
diet was being used to treat or to claim to be able to treat autoimmune diseases. Right. And it's now turned into that same rhetoric that people, I think a lot of doctors were kind of ignoring for mm. a while by, mm. by actually rejecting it and going, you know what? Yeah, actually, no, you can't fix these with diet. Yeah. Now that we've started to realize the impact that diet can have on lifestyle medicine and things like diabetes and, and all of those kind of conditions that are, that are related to diet, yeah. we've now just kind of transferred the same rhetoric that was being used for the autoimmune diseases, which was born out of a failure of medicine, which we still don't know how to treat properly, mm-hmm. into... It's just kind of like yeah, a copy and paste. That's a good point. So that, that, I that's never what thought I've about seen. that. Yeah. yeah, it's kind of just been like this this cookie cutter, like we can treat autoimmune diseases. No, we can't. But yes, we can treat this. And so food actually is yeah. medicine. Yeah. And, it, and it's, you know, yeah. it just... F- food is medicine, but I'm going to charge you a thousand for a consultation while I do all of your yeah, gut <laughs> checks and uh, all of this. Yeah, yeah, but all of we're, your autoimmune we're finding the root cause. Yeah, we're finding the root cause. Um yeah, I never thought about it that way. And I, I, it's a, r- a really w- interesting perspective because, yeah, you're essentially talking about, I think there's two keys there. One is, in one sense, there's the commercial element, which we've talked about before. You know, someone has a condition, we're not good at dealing with this. So someone steps in and capitalizes yeah. by, by phrasing it in terms of, oh, the reason medicine hasn't got a, an answer for you is because they're not looking at the root cause, but we're looking at the root cause yeah. and blah, 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 and off you go. Secondly, I think an important point that arises in that is how we think about advancing knowledge and evidence and research. So I have no, one thing I have a problem with is when people do ask in a legitimate sense of scientific inquiry, well, okay, well, why are we, why are we not treating these conditions effectively? Is there more going on? Can we look at these a different way? Is there any evidence that would suggest that there is something else going on that we can look at? And when people are shouted down from that, from the kind of the medical pulpit, so to speak, of once you question that, you're you're woo, you know, get out of here, then I think that's a problem. But the the, the, the flip side to that is people then use the lack of evidence in that space to fill in the blanks themselves with mm-hmm. whatever nonsense they want. Yeah. So it's actually a double-edged sword because I feel like a lot of people are driven into that woo space because once they ask questions, they're kind of shouted down, they're shouted out of the picture, and that only drives them to the fringes. But then I also think that people capitalize, and you see this with, with, with you know, homeopathy, for example. Science doesn't know everything. It's like, that's the whole fucking point of science. It proceeds <laughs> from the point of ignorance of we don't know everything, and that's where you form theories and ideas and hypotheses, and then you test them. So... It's it's such an ignorance of, of what science really is that's born out of that. Well, science can't know everything, so I'll just fill in the blanks with my lavender oil or fill in the blanks with, or even in a medical sense, you know, science can't know everything about autoimmunity, so I'll fill in the blanks with, well, there was one study that showed gluten activating zonulin in the gut, therefore that's the root cause of autoimmunity. It's mm. like mechanism mm. does not equal effect. <laughs> so, you know... Oh dear. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, so I guess kind of bringing it bring it back to the to to the question we asked earlier, kind mm-hmm. of where where is the harm and why why is there harm? And I think from from my perspective before actually and we will get into some of this stuff as to why reading nutritional science is very different to reading mm-hmm. biomedical science and actually that stuff was really interesting to me because that wasn't something I knew about. Yeah. But even so, 
before knowing that there was such difference in how you were meant to read these these different um, yeah. you know disciplines yeah i still saw a lot of problem with how these uh these articles and how this research was being interpreted to justify the food as medicine rhetoric mm-hmm. um and it concerned me to the extent that this is you know this is why we're why here, we're here. Yeah. because i didn't you know i just uh, it, it it worried me that people were getting the wrong idea and what i have seen through a few years on instagram now of de- of talking to members of the public who message me on instagram and and kind of w- interacting with the community that i have is that people will extrapolate what they're told especially when it comes from a source that is trusted and as doctors, we are trusted in the community, um, slightly less than perhaps we used to be when it used to be a very mm-hmm. doctor-led consultation. Now it's a very doctor and patient-led consultation, yeah. which is a yeah. good thing. But even so, even with that, the doctors and and you know we are still very trusted. And so when we say something like "food is medicine," the automatic assumption is, well, the automatic thought process is, well, what do I know? is medicine already and medicine to members of the public is pharmaceuticals medicine is something that you get to treat your disease when you when you have an infection you get given antibiotics and that will treat your disease when you have cancer you get prescribed chemotherapy and you take that and it will treat hopefully the cancer that you have and so when you tell members of the public food is medicine and there's no caveating that they hear there's no explanation that they hear there's no justification that they hear they take that a lot of people will take that down a route of well that's great because i don't like the medication i'm on because no one likes medication so i'm just going to use food and it introduces them to a whole world of people who are telling them to just use food so that's why i'm not just fine that I, I don't think doc a lot of doctors i that's what i meant by their mean well is that they're they're not most of them who say this aren't telling their patients to come off their medication some of them are mm. let's don't, don't get that wrong but mm. a lot of them i would from what i see aren't telling them to come off their medications they're telling them that they can use food to help their symptoms in a way that they haven't perhaps thought about it before but by saying food is medicine yeah it encourages people to start listening to the likes of the medical medium yeah. who claim that you can directly treat your conditions with food yeah. and it encourages that thought process and it's a dangerous thought process yeah. to to encourage yeah and what what you're describing is the fact that it 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 puts it makes the two of them equivocal mm. and they're categorically not mm. they're categorically not and on multiple levels the first thing is yeah uh, i you know some people will get really technical and look at the you know oed definition of medicine and in there is the word prevent and they're like well you see if even because i've said before well nutrition is primarily preventative mm. it's not reactionary you we know for example a high dietary fiber intake significantly reduces your risk of colorectal cancer but it will do jack all if you already have colorectal exactly cancer. you don't start taking fiber supplements when you have colorectal cancer some people do because food is medicine medicine. this is see this is the problem that's the problem (laughs) so what the 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 kind of uh, you know putting them as equivocal is 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 incorrect but also that word prevent even is not quite correct because fundamentally if we just remove all of these environmental circumstances and and we assume like most organisms as we are that we are simply an organism interacting with our with our environment independent of all of these kind of social and other variables in 2017. So let's rewind back. 
the bottom line is that people all start out at the same baseline level for the most part, unless they are born with some sort of congenital issue. Yeah. So we all start out at the same baseline level. We all ha- roughly have the same baseline requirements. And nutrients, and here's one thing I really wish a lot of people using this rhetoric would get, they do not act outside of biological range. Mm-hmm. Drugs do. So we all start out at this baseline level, and ultimately someone may go through life consuming foods, obtaining nutrients from those foods that do the same things in their body as they do in anyone else's, because and, and nothing beyond that because they do not act out act outside of biological range that's just a fact and so they may never need any sort of 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 intervention so to speak in a medical sense and so to then equate food as being medicine because something that could happen doesn't happen to you you know and you don't need something in a reactionary sense it just makes no logical sense to Mm -hmm. to make Mm -hmm. that comparison yeah it's interesting well you have food and you might live a healthy life Therefore, you've been taking medicine your whole life. It's like, no, that's not the case. So that's... But that also comes with that, that if even if you have been eating well, in quotes, and you do get ill or a disease, then it then becomes you've done something wrong or exactly. it becomes a blame. Yeah. And, and, you know, just take cancer for one perfect example, mm-hmm. that even with the perfect diet... Cancer is a matter of statistics. Yeah. Cancer is a matter of odds. Cancer is a a replication of a cell in your body that 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 goes wrong and all of those defense mechanisms that are in place yeah. don't catch it. Yeah. And guess what? The more replications, the more likely that cancer is going to form. And so hence the longer we're living, (laughs) the higher the rates of cancer there are in our society. And people like to say that cancer rates are because our diet's getting worse. And, you know, maybe, maybe Maybe. there's an element. However, the majority of that is because we're living longer. Mm. So you can have the perfect diet. You can have, you can never smoke. You can live in the perfect environment. You can get the perfect amount of exercise and you still have a risk of getting cancer. Exactly. So you can't, by, by calling it, by saying, oh, we're not, we're not saying food is treatative medicine, we're saying food is preventative medicine, it's still not it's even still that. It's still not preventative, exactly. Reducing the risk is a better way of describing it, not preventing, because these conditions you can't remove all risk no. of. And it, it puts that blame back on the person. Yeah, and, and the, the blame culture is part of the food as medicine rhetoric that I have a real problem with because it ties back to the classist element that we were talking yeah. about. Yeah, yeah. Because basically what you're saying is, well, if you're wealthy and healthy and you've access to these foods that we're recommending and you have the time and you have the food preparation skills to make this lovely butternut squash curry <laughs> that's going to prevent cancer and improve your eyesight, uh, <laughs> then have at it yeah. and and but the the problem is the moralistic implications of people that don't have access to that diet yeah so what we're saying then is tough you're a higher cancer risk than yeah, anyone yeah. else but we're also then saying as you've as you've pointed out and i i really think this is a crux of why food as medicine is such a bad tagline and such mm. a misleading tagline is that you can have the perfect diet in the world with all the blueberry anthocyanins even though they're associated with lower risk of dementia, you still get dementia. Yeah. Yeah, you yeah. can have the perfect diet in the world with all the polyphenols yeah. and you can still get cancer. And you can have the perfect diet in the world for the most part with your unsaturated, oversaturated fat content for, and, and, and still get cardiovascular disease. Yeah. 
because maybe it wasn't related to that. Maybe it was hypertension was your primary risk factor. Maybe that was, uh, you know, ethnically mediated because we know that there are genetic differences, for example, in, in sodium retention that make hypertension a much more problematic factor, for example, in African-American pe- mm-hmm. community. Or in, be the in, same, a- in the same vein, you can eat low carb for your entire life, <laughs> but be, be, be East Asian and still get and diabetes. Still get di- exactly. Like it's, you know, yeah. it, it, is, it is a blame game. It's a healthism. It's a blame thing. It's, it's something where you're putting the onus of health back on the individual. Yeah. And um, if they haven't, if they've become unwell, it's because they didn't care enough yeah. or it's because they didn't... Didn't eat <sighs> enough pumpkin... <laughs> and and this is the problem equating foods and and what I find we can we can tease out that healthism part a bit more because people have healthist perspectives about food right what I don't like is when I see the inferences and uh, that a lot of the, the the kind of prominent lifestyle medics in the UK make about food and this is just their fundamental misunderstanding of of nutrition because they don't have that basic level of knowledge and they'll say for example well vitamin A beta-carotene is is good for your eyesight. Butternut squash or, you know, whatever, sweet potato contains vitamin A, beta-carotene. Therefore, <laughs> this recipe will improve your eyesight or reduce, you know, and that is this ridiculous, shaky inferences that are made. And everyone will buy that. You know, the wealthy and the healthy will buy that because they'll see a butternut squash and be like, oh my God, yeah, it's lovely and it's plant-based. And it's, yeah. But let's, and, let's take and that whether it's And whether it's right or wrong, yeah. the argument is it's just food. It's just food. It can't harm. It can't hurt. We're yeah. encouraging the, the consumption of vegetables. So why do you have a problem? Well, let's just take, let's just take that, that exact same logic mm-hmm. and think about other foods in our food supply. So crunchy nut cornflakes are fortified with niacin, vitamin B3. Vitamin B3 has been for added to wheat, fortified in wheat since the 1930s to prevent a condition called pellagra. Therefore, crunchy nut cornflakes prevent pellagra. Must be true because I I've never seen any pellagra as my as yeah, practicing as a doctor. <laughs> it must be all of that. So why don't cornflakes. so why don't we why don't we write a book about you know beating disease and and put b- crunchy nut cornflakes with topped with milk? Milk, we're, we're milk gonna, contains iodine. We're going to copyright that now just to clarify. So <laughs> I think we should make that book. I'm serious. I think that'd be really interesting. Yeah, that'd be great. We just can tell make people, a, what yeah. what what do you have for breakfast? Will you have crunchy nut cornflakes and uh, with some with some milk? Because milk contains iodine, and iodine prevents goiter. Therefore, with this crunchy nut cornflakes doused in milk, you're not only improving your eyesight; you're preventing goiter, and you're 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 increasing your thyroid health. Maybe we wonder could... what Mark Hyman thinks about <laughs> food as medicine. Maybe we could do a public health service announcement and actually create like a picture book for kids. Yeah, um, that, yeah. Their, that their parents have to read them, yeah. and that could be a double whammy. So not only do the kids realize that all food is good for them, uh, mm. but that their parents realize that that the, the reduction in nutrition is a piss take. Yeah. of real nutritional <laughs> of real science. Nutrition science. Yeah. So, Do I sound like so I know I what really, I'm talking about now? Yeah, this is quite good. I'm quite enjoying this. So, so, so <laughs> this is this is the hilarious thing about that because with what I just said about milk and crunchy nut cornflakes, everyone out there, the wealthy and the healthy, are scoffing. Yeah. Don't be ridiculous. It's hilarious. Their their crunchy nut cornflakes are full of sugar, and sugar is cancer, you know, or something like that. <laughs> Yet they're In taking mice. the exact same logic to the butternut squash example or to whatever else has been used to justify food as medicine. And they are, they are literally eating it up. They are literally eating it up. 
buying the book, going home to make this recipe that is going to reduce their risk of blindness. <laughs> so this rhetoric, the, the problem with it, we're taking certain perspectives on how it's interpreted and stuff, and yeah. that's fine. But the, the issue is it's fundamentally wrong. It's just not correct because nutrients are not medicine. They don't behave like medicines. They act within biological range. And there is often, with conditions, very little that nutrition can do for people at a certain point in time. Yeah. And even if it's preventative, as you've said, it's never preventative 100%. And that's why it's not. And so you can have the perfect diet, you can still get cancer, you can eat butternut squash, or you can eat crunchy nut cornflakes, and you can still end up with, 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 yeah. with, with, with a condition. Now again, don't, don't get us wrong, certain... Um, a constant intake, so constant yes. intake of certain foods yeah. can increase our risk of getting certain things yeah. or decrease our risk of getting And vice versa. And, and just because we're arguing against the rhetoric, it doesn't mean that we are pretending that food isn't important, yes. like we said yes. at the beginning. But it's, I, I think it's important to say that again, just because it, this, this challenge is something that, that I know a lot of people listening may believe. Mm. And when you have something that challenges what you believe, or and because unfortunately food has become an identity issue, and so Most we're challenging... people have turned off already. Well, <laughs> They're no longer not. listening to but us. We're, but we're challenging identity here yes, as well. So exactly. it's become a bit of an identity. You are a food is medicine doctor now. Mm. You are a doctor who who um, is... Uh, your, yeah, you, plant you promote, powered or Exactly. Whatever. You, you yeah. promote your soul... Your, your kind of your your sole practice around types of food yes. or around a diet around you know um selling your patients to the idea that your sole goal in life is to get them off their medication mm -hmm. and sometimes some of those goals are good but don't turn off just because you don't like what we're saying yeah because this is something that is causing harm. Yes. And as doctors, we still hold to the first do no harm. Mm -hmm. We can have nuanced conversations around when first do no harm doesn't apply. But in the end, the majority of what we do as doctors is first do no harm. Yeah. And some of that, again, to bring up another point, is justified by, but it's only food it can't cause harm. Where's the harm Where when I'm harm? when I'm advising this kind of stuff? And again, from you can probably go into more depth than this, but from what I've seen, um, let's take eating disorders, let's take disordered eating, let's take nutritional deficiencies. Yeah. That's that's three really good straightforward examples as to where the harm is. Yeah. Not even getting into the fact that when people start believing pseudoscience, it's often because they've started from something that sounded non-pseudoscience-y. Yeah, and and food is medicine and the belief around food is medicine makes it very easy for people to progress into something that most doctors would scoff at, yet it's our fault or it's becoming our fault in the flip in first place yeah. that we've put them down that path. Yeah. So there's the harm. There's the harm. And, and, and I categorically agree with that and all of that. And that's the obvious harm. The harm that is the elephant in the room as well that people aren't acknowledging or certainly a lot of the medics that I talk to just don't want to acknowledge is the fact that we are seeing an increase in people refusing treatment options mm. to buy this food as medicine. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and a couple of conversations I had recently were terrifying. Three, three people working in oncology telling me that a recent experience they had had or that their consultant oncologist had had was an individual refusing treatment to take something like turmeric. 
uh, there are people refusing. So, but let's so let's stay on that for a second. So, yeah. so people are refusing, and I've seen some of this as well, and I could give you examples. But people are refusing cancer treatment for turmeric or turmeric or however you want to say it in your Irish accent. So people are refusing that. So th- the question is because people people will argue, yeah, but that's not my fault. Food is medicine. Me saying food is medicine is not causing that because I'm saying it to people and I'm explaining it and blah, blah, blah. No one's now, explaining it. Now, yeah, wait, that for number one. But people will say they are. So, so, the, the, so, so where I would go with that is, okay, so people are using, people are, are claiming or believing that, that turmeric can cure their cancer. Where has that come from? Now, it may not have started from doctors saying food is medicine. Mm-hmm. It may have started from charlatans. It may have started from functional mm-hmm. functional medicine, which is not medicine to clarify. They're not actual doctors and real doctors to go into functional medicine need to have their doctorate taken away or whatever. Yeah, it's not actually a doctorate, like but yeah. So th- where has that come from? It's come from charlatans and pseudoscience. The question, however, isn't where has it come from? The question is, how is it now being propagated? How is it now being encouraged? And so it may have come from there, but by continuing down this food is medicine rhetoric, it becomes harder and harder and harder and harder to challenge turmeric will cure your cancer. And when the food is medicine is coming from doctors who, again, what I said at the beginning, the public trust, it then gives credence to this stuff that they've heard from someone else who they don't necessarily trust, but they're intrigued by it. And it sounds good because there's no side effects to turmeric and it won't make your hair fall out and it won't make you feel shit. And it's, yeah. you know, and so that, that there's, a, there's like an explanation as to that, that harm is that obviously um, almost all doctors would agree that a patient stopping chemotherapy to take turmeric is a bad idea. Even the strongest of UK food is medicine doctors would probably say that but what they're failing to understand is their is rhetoric the is, rhetoric is encouraging, is encouraging it this. whether they like it or not exactly. this isn't a this isn't some sort of like i just don't like the fact that you're managing to produce a book and you're making money and i'm not this isn't about this isn't a personal thing this about is about yeah and it's this about is about seeing yeah. the fact that this is propagating it and we need to get over ourselves i know that you love the rhetoric it sounds great food as medicine is such a nice thing to say mm. but you're not saying exercise is medicine you're not saying sleep is medicine you're not saying all these other things that that have the same logic that you're using yeah, yeah. even though those ones are less problematic than food as medicine and so, probably you know, more impactful yeah in, in certain, you know like probably more impactful you know overall um and 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 you're you're categorically correct and it's not you know um there's a there was a great piece on um that was published was the last year the year before two years ago um about spin in the biomedical literature and it used an example of one of uh, Asim Alhatra's papers where it kind of in the same breath talked about statin over prescribing and also how saturated fat is not an issue and there was an estimated was it 20,000 statin refusals within the, the, the subsequent to that paper being published <sighs> like this rhetoric is not benign it is potentially harmful yeah. and my problem is there are those that I think don't care that it's harmful and that's one that's one issue and they're they're the people that are using it either for personal or 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 commercial gain and i would argue hopefully that's a small and i think that is a small minority yeah. and then i think there are those who are using it because they're in love with an idea of nutrition without an understanding for 
really it's it's bigger picture and it's and it's and it's and it's deeper underpinnings and like i said at the start there is a you will not find a single dietitian registered nutritionist or nutrition academic that uses that rhetoric so why don't we just step back and ask why is that the case that's an interesting point isn't it yeah (laughs) yeah so why isn't anyone in the actual field of nutrition using this rhetoric? Yeah. And it's because they see the limitations of nutrition on a daily basis. They see its benefits. They see its limitations. And they understand that nutrition interventions are often nothing to do with food and are very much to do with behavior, psychology. They understand that with a lot of conditions, there is nothing that nutrition can do. And they also understand that when they're at that point with a condition or with a client, they refer to doctors. <laughs> and, and we're not getting that same courtesy extended. And I think part of the problem is that everyone assumes nutrition is easy. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone eats, yeah. everyone's an expert. And everyone assumes there's this. I'll put my hand up and admit that I thought that nutrition, I thought it was the same. Yeah. I thought it was easy. It made, you know, I was like, well, I'm, my argument, which, I don't use anymore uh, was was well yeah I'm not a nutritionist but I would argue that I'm really good at reading papers and so you know and I, I'm probably better at reading papers than most therefore I'm I'm quite well suited to look at nutrition and yeah and I'm sorry yeah <laughs> so I, funny you say that I was I was at a I, I snuck in uh, espionage style into a GP conference last year over a year ago now and and it was good it, it was it was it was it was a kind of a general lifestyle meta conference there was yeah. there was there was a and again lifestyle medicine is a good thing yeah when used in the right yeah context, like go for a walk get some fresh air go to bed an hour earlier that kind of thing not like take your probiotics um you know food is medicine cut out gluten and dairy all that kind of crap so <laughs> but it was interesting because there was a talk given by a guy uh, on cardiovascular disease and nutrition and, and it was quite good but someone asked him a question there at the end, uh, and it was, you know, well, you know, there's a lot of research. How do we know it was blah, blah. And basically, in this gist of this question, his answer was, well, we're doctors, we're best placed to interpret the literature. Even about, and that was where I just, I'd been quiet all day as the only non medic there. And then I just at that point was like, hand up. And I was like, I'm going to intervene. I think it's because you assume that, that so many nonsensical positions are being advanced. by medical doctors in a Dunning-Kruger sense, superficial understanding of the evidence base applied with or combined with with unbridled confidence. And it gives us the Dunning-Kruger graph. And what did he say to that? uh, He kind of just shrugged his shoulders and kind of, kind of was like, yeah, I don't think, and I I said, I said, you know, where I was and, 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 you know, what I was doing and, you know, that, that I was kind of, coming from this purely from a nutrition uh, and academic perspective. Um, And he just kind of shrugged his shoulders and kind of acknowledged it in a way. Um, But I just thought that that was a really telling moment of, of why we have this, you know, this increasing conversation about nutrition in medicine and food is medicine. But it's just so funny that there's this undertone of, like this has just been discovered in the last five years. <laughs> oh my God, this nutrition stuff is important. And we as doctors have and, discovered and it for And we you. have figured it out. You're so welcome. Yeah, well, you're welcome. <laughs> uh, and this kind of, you know, there's an entire field there. Yeah. And there's this lip service paid to it. And what I find funny about some of the undertones of conversations I've had, particularly with, with, with GPs, is 
although they won't say it and they won't admit it, you know from your conversation with them that what they're thinking is, well, now that we know nutrition's important, once we educate ourselves on it, we, we, you know, we, we can do your job. Yeah. We can we can step in and be nutritionists in a, in a clinic. And to clarify, I don't want to do your job. I <laughs> like I don't like I've got I, enough I, other things yeah. to do. Like I don't want to be a physiotherapist either. Yeah. Like I, I want to, I want to know when to refer. Yes. Like I want to know when to use my colleagues. Yeah. We, we love we love talking about how the MDT is so important. Yeah. Just not with nutritionists yeah, or dietitians exactly. there because we should we know better. Because, yeah. Because we're figuring this all out now, and and we talk about this systemic change and we need to teach nutrition in med schools and I'm, I'm all for that basic level of knowledge being applied in the right way in the right way but at the end of the day doctors go to medical school to become doctors yeah. and i want my doctor to be a good doctor yeah and i, I well the argument would be that knowing a bit about nutrition is going exactly through, and but that the will concern help. and the concern i've personally had more recently is is that dunning kruger thing is if we there's only so much that you can teach doctors about nutrition or medical, medical students about nutrition. And my concern is that they're going to leave the five or six years of medical school with a, a small amount of nutritional knowledge built on a skill of being able to read biomedical papers. Mm. And it's going to lead Hang on, to... Do, 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 do 90% of doctors even have that skill? yeah all right calm yourself <laughs> yeah i would argue yes no no come on i would well maybe yeah look, maybe in i first think and so. second year i think no, i would the... <laughs> i would argue that actually being able i mean again i'm coming from a from a surgical side exactly. of things where you where have we to look publish. at literature more re, more recent or frequently but i would i would argue that the the ability of a doctor to be able to critically appraise a bioscientific, a biomedical paper mm. is way beyond a member of the public. Yeah, of and course. Yeah. yeah, you know, so anyway, I'll leave it there. Yeah. But what yeah. but what but my concern is you you have a small amount of nutritional emphasis on a background of being able to of a background of not understanding the difference between nutritional science and biomedical science is going to lead to a new generation of doctors who are going to start giving bad yeah. advice. Yeah. And, I, and one example, I think, which, which I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to think might be a good place to end on in this podcast before we move into explaining mm -hmm. what the differences mm -hmm. are, or I'm going to then get you to explain them, because this is the stuff that I've started coming across, and it's very interesting, yeah. is I, I had a patient in the hospital recently who I saw in clinic who was she was a medical statistician mm -hmm. now so she had good ability to understand biomedical stats biomedical research and we had this conversation about and again this has got nothing to do with why i was seeing her in clinic but somehow it yeah. came up and it was amazing we had this conversation about how she has refused statins right and she was talking about how she was trying to um to change her diet first right and I said to her, which is I said, fine first, as, yeah. a, as a first intervention. But I, but I said to her, and I said, well, I said, so are you at the point where your GP has advised that you should start on statins? And she mm. said, yeah. And I said, well, let me put it to you this way then. The best diet in the world, the best amount of food in the world is never going to reduce your cholesterol as well or as much as statins will. Yeah. And so if I were you, and this is completely up to you and take it or leave it. You're in a position now where your cholesterol is high, putting you at risk of certain things. And you are 
miss on you're you're overestimating the impact that you can have yeah, with food with because you don't like medication mm-hmm. i said as a statistician mm-hmm. yourself mm-hmm. does that sound like good odds <laughs> <laughs> and and i was and i said this in a nice way and perhaps yeah, not yeah, as yeah. dogma as i'm saying it now and and she she left uh, actually we had a really interesting conversation she mm-hmm. left that with i i believe the intent to go yeah you know what I'll go Maybe on satins and do the diet thing yeah. at the moment. And yeah. if I get it down to a point where I can yeah. then come off the satins, that's great. Yeah, and that's exactly. lifestyle medicine. Yes, yes. That's what lifestyle medicine should be. I think so. Getting, you know, introducing lifestyle measures to reduce. But the reason why I'm bringing that up is because she's a medical statistician. Mm. She knows probably more about this kind of stuff than most doctors do. And yet st- she you- still comes across that. She reads papers, she reads literature and her interpretation mm. of nutritional science was that it wasn't justified and she should take food. Well, that's also because nutrition is unique in that it's also a belief system. So she wasn't making an informed, statistic-based, Bayesian decision there. She was making a faith-based decision. You, But you could also argue that she was interpreting the literature. Yes, yes she could. Because, yeah. because there are a lot of doctors who will interpret the literature to justify mm-hmm. using statistics that what they're uh, what they're advising is valid mm-hmm. and so i think that is that is why it's That's important that we well. need to get onto yeah what are the differences between nutritional science what are the differences between you know from that to biomedical science and why we need to start at that baseline which is why i think it's important we're using this as, as episode number two because when we're going to go on and talk about uh, the science around low carb and we talk about this when we talk about papers and then you guys go and read them later you need to be able to read them from a from an understanding of how nutritional science has to be read. Yeah, and so I'm excited to uh, to to pick your brains yeah. about about that. It's my favorite subject. Well, I know. Yeah, yeah. So I think that's a good place to end. Yes, I think it is. Unless there's anything specific apart from no. food isn't medicine. Please stop it. Please stop it. <laughs> food isn't medicine. Food is important. Yeah. Diet is one part, just one part of an overall picture yep. in an individual's health. And if it you're of a high enough social economic state that you have it, the privilege yeah. to be able to pick and then none of this exactly stuff matters anyway, eat, then that's great. But yeah. also you'll probably be healthy anyway and you'll die yeah. later anyway. Yeah. But that's great and that's fantastic and make those choices and that's brilliant. Yeah. But stop the blame game, there we go. which inevitably food as medicine leads to. Stop assuming that diet is equivocal to pharmacotherapy for certain conditions. It's simply not. And and stop using a rhetoric that places food on a pedestal that, although it's important, it really shouldn't be overemphasized. And that pedestal is not a correct place to put it in the context of our interventions. So it's important to know it's important but not elevated to a status that the evidence simply doesn't support at this point. Yeah. When the rhetoric is harmful, get over yourself and stop using it. Yeah. That's it. Done. Done. End of, end of podcast series. End of all podcasts in the world. (laughs) That's it. (laughs) No more needed. Food isn't medicine. (laughs) Anyway, thank you for listening. And, uh, we will, we will be back with, um, uh, a bit of a, a short dive into how mm. to look at nutritional science. Yeah, exactly. A, a one for the geeks. Sounds good to me. Yeah. See My favorite subject. Take care. <laughs>